And we've got another great episode of the Money Mitch Effect coming right up. I am Mitch Michaels, the host of the Sports Podcast. And thank you for listening as we continue to talk sports week in, week out. A couple of guests on the show to do just that. First up, MMA Fighting's Jose Young. It's always good to catch up with Jose. He actually got to go to Fight Island. Five fight cards. He was there for a very long time covering the UFC. We break down the experience, what that was like just getting over there, getting accustomed to it. Some good fights. He saw Adi Asanya triumph. He saw the last, potentially last Habib fight and a lot of other UFC fights. We also talk a little boxing as well. Had to get his thoughts on that Lomachenko-Lopez tilt as well as some other big ones there. So it's all combat sports with Jose Youngs. And then I'm talking NFL football with Adam Musto, another reoccurring guest on the show. He's always good for some NFL takes. We talk about the NFL season. Now eight weeks in the books. A lot of interesting storylines developing. We see who the best team. We talk about who we think the best team in the NFC is. The Steelers are the last unbeaten team. The playoff picture is starting to take form. And we break down the NFL. It's Adam Musto and Jose Youngs on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, it's time to talk some combat sports and some other stuff with the reoccurring guest, MMA Fighting's Jose Youngs. After a long, strange trip all the way around the globe, he's back on the show. Jose, thanks for once again joining the Money Mitch Pack. You got it, man. And trip around the globe would be an understatement, honestly. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we're going to get into the travel and everything in just a second. But uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how thankful were you? that you were not in America when Mookie, when Mookie Betts was really hitting his stride. You know, it's one thing to be in America when it's all happening, but to wake up and that's what you wake up to, that's a whole nother thing. That was the most brutal part, honestly. Like waking up and you're like, let's see what Mookie did today, and then that's what happens. Do you want to, uh, as a known Red Sox fan, uh, do you want to let everybody know what your fantasy football team name is, or do you want to keep that private? John W. Henry sucks. <laughs> And we'll be remain that until we win another World Series. Yeah, it's been a golden era for the Red Sox fans, but that's a head scratcher for sure. But uh, I had to bring that up because I know you know it's, it's still it's still sensitive there. And, and and being in LA, man, everybody just fell in love with him quickly, like you knew they would. Yeah, I mean, he's like you know just a generational <laughs> talent that will go down as one of the greatest players who ever lived. Mm-hmm. So why would the Red Sox try to keep him? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Well, hey, man, I'm, we're, the Indians are probably about to lose Lindor, so I'll, I'll be right there with you. Uh, oh, yeah. That said, we're going to get to, you know, your journalism career has taken you to a lot of places, and it took you to Fight Island. So you were there for, what was it, five fight cards in a row? Uh, yeah, I went, so I went to Las Vegas on September, I want to say 17th. I drove up so I could cover the uh, – Colby Covington versus Tyron Woodley fight at the UFC Apex. And then the very next, this is when I was there for the weigh-ins on the 18th and the fights, or the press conference on the 17th, the weigh-ins on the 18th, and the fights on the 19th. And then the 20th, at about 2 a.m., I had to go to the airport and to catch a flight to Abu Dhabi. And I was there for five weeks covering five straight fights. So basically, uh, six straight weeks of covering fist fighting. Wow. Wow. Um, I guess I'll start with that. That plane ride out were were you along with other members of the fighting community yeah i mean, no the whole plane was a, it was a chartered usc oh, flight so like obviously we had to pay like the my company had to pay for my seat but uh th- everyone there 
was going to Fight Island specifically. Like the, the the seat said, like welcome to Fight Island, this and that. Dana White was on our flight. A couple fighters were on our flight. Uh, like pretty much all the UFC security, a lot of the broadcast team, like Paul Felder, Karen Bryant, Megan O'Leary. Uh, a lot of the analysts were like DC was on our flight. No, DC wasn't on our flight just yet. Uh, Dan Hardy, and then on the way back. Uh, it was pretty much everyone from UFC 254 fight card is more crowded. So all the media, all the security, um, a lot of like the behind the scenes people of the UFC, like Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler, Michael Chiesa was there for analytical work, Daniel Cormier. So pretty much any fighter you saw mm. that lived in America was on our flight home. So was that fight, I mean, a lot of people look at Fight Island as this cool, you know, experience and there, there's been a couple runs now there. Is that like the start of a vacation, or is everybody excited, pumped to be going? Is it a little anxious? I mean, you're, you are going to a place, a new terrain, literally for you. So, what was the the trip? Getting like? there? Yeah. Well, it was so it was 16 hours straight, so there was no stop. So it was like we took off. So we got to get through customs and stuff about two. We got on the plane around five, took off around six, and then it's about a 12 hour time difference. So I think eight. If it's 8 p.m. your time, it's 8 a.m. the next day in abu dhabi uh so that was a little bit of a, a taking it's like we took off night and we so we took off sunday morning and basically landed monday morning um and then plus it was like a whole nother times it was like we were literally eight thousand miles away uh it wasn't at all a vacation uh because we were like they basically blocked off the main road uh oh, wow. yaz island is obviously a tourist attract a tourist yeah. spot so they have all these hotels uh we could go from the our hotel to the fighter hotel because the fighter hotel had where all the fighters and coaches are staying and the UFC staff that's where the media room is and that's where a lot of the press conferences took place so we could go from our hotel to their hotel to the arena and then or there was a very small sliver of the beach we could go to I'm sure you saw a lot of the photos of the stare downs on the beach yeah. and the press conferences on the beach like that's where we were relegated to for five weeks there were no cars allowed on the road like imagine uh, like like you seen I am legend like imagine that wow. like walking down a freeway was pretty much how it was wow. uh, There were guards everywhere. There were police cars on either side But other than that the only transportation was the shuttles to and from media events and golf carts that would just zip around uh, Not really anything to do So it was pretty much mm. five weeks of just waiting around for the next media thing media thing day after day after day So it was not even remotely a vacation the staff was great they all had to quarantine with us too so no one could leave the bubble and no one could enter the bubble without like outside of fighters landing and when you land you have to quarantine for 48 hours so we landed so on the 20th exclusively in your hotel room you're just posting yes up there. and like they bring you food to your front door uh they like you have to i took a i think i took five weeks i think i took 15 covid tests so about hmm. two a week and then the last week we took a bunch just because it was such a, there were more media there mm -hmm. because it was the Habib show. So for like the, the two pay-per-views had a lot of media. Uh, that's 253 and 254. That was that book ended the Fight Island trip and all the fight nights in the middle. There was far less media. So but the Habib show had so much media, we had to take more COVID tests than usual. So uh, all the hotel staff also had to stay in the bubble. They couldn't go. They were all super friendly and absolutely just the nicest people you'll ever meet. So real nice people. But by week three, I was getting a little bored. <laughs> a little stir crazy. And obviously, you're, you know, you're there to work. But unfortunate that there wasn't more to do and, you know, get right. that time to kind of enjoy yourself. A, I mean, a there was a, there was like a basketball court 
outside but if you know anything about the middle east and abu dhabi because oh, it's built yeah. into the water yeah, yeah it's basically arizona if it's arizona in florida had a child and it was so nobody, it had arizona's wants heat, that. <laughs> arizona's heat with florida's humidity it was pretty brutal at times so no one really went outside i think uh, I, yeah it was so it was a trip i think i remember you bringing up it was probably the habib fight the uh the uh comedy scene of a police escort on a closed road oh yeah, it was. I think it, that was just all for optics, because yeah, like the yeah. hotel was across the street from yeah. the arena, so like I could walk there in about thirty seconds. But you know, he needed a police escort for all that blistering traffic in Fight Island bubble. Did you find that um, you were able to? I know you've gotten access and gotten quality stuff from from the fighters in their camps. Did you find it was more? more open that there was because it was such a tight community there with everyone um, in the bubble or a little a little bit a lot of the there was a rule like so if you go to the fighter hotel you couldn't just post up downstairs and be like hey can i interview hey can i interview you you basically if, if you had interviews set up ahead of time they the ufc allowed it but we had so much so much media days that half the time we really didn't need it um we saw a lot of the and obviously they were cutting weight so like and also like when they fought they left that pretty much the next day so if when like brian ortega fought on saturday that into sunday morning he basically flew back to america like six hours after his flight so there was really no like if a fighter was there to fight they were cutting weight out, yeah. and so like you don't really want to mess around with people when they're cutting weight and stuff they'll now the fighters that were in commentary like dc michael chiesa dan hardy uh, like Angela Hill was there for a bit, Michael Chandler and his team. So and a lot and some fighters are obviously cornermen. Like uh, Eric Anders was there cornering, uh, like Walt Harris. Uh, there was a lot of uh, like like I got to know a lot of Israel Adesanya's team because uh, one of them actually just won tonight on uh, Carlos Olberg on Dana White's Contender Series. So pretty much all the fighters not cutting weight. Mm-hmm. You could interact with a little bit. A lot of them would hang out on the beach. You could go like say hey nice, and chit chat like that. But you know. They're they're in and out. We're there for five weeks. Yeah, some of the weight cutting video that was posted by the UFC just looked miserable because you had oh, the time terrible. difference and you had the heat and you had everything there. Uh, speaking of that time difference, Jose, yeah, how how were you able to at least try? I mean, no one actually you know can perfectly perfect getting used to that new time of day. Not just the time difference, but also the fact that you know you're working, you're on the clock as someone covering it. The fighters too at weird hours up until that last fight how were you able to kind of just shift your body clock around well you just go to bed like so a lot like the first four cards obviously started so i think like we'd have to be at the arena around 11 p.m or midnight and then we would get out of the fights at like 6 a.m 7 a.m which is obviously unusual for the united states so i pretty much go to bed at 5 p.m 6 p.m wake up and go to the arena and then work until like say we get out of the arena at seven I'll work until about nine and then just pass out for, or I'll try to stay awake all day. Basically, wake, stay awake for 24 hours so you can get your sleep cycle back on. Uh, but then that last week just threw everything out of whack. So it was, uh, it's, I'm still, my body is still trying to recover from that. Was, uh, last thing about that I was going to ask you was the food at least solid or, I mean, they're bringing you meals, but what, it was fine. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, the staff was really nice, but it was one of those things where, like, whatever the dinner, because it was buffet style. So like when I when we booked our hotel, everyone had to stay in the same hotel. Obviously, we paid for it, but it, what was included was there was a buffet, and you couldn't use the you couldn't serve your own food because of COVID. So there would be people standing next to all the food that would put the food on your plate for you, wearing gloves, wearing masks, and wearing hair nets. 
uh, and pretty much whatever was the the whatever dinner was was it was like a mismatch for lunch the next day, like all the leftovers. So if they had chicken, if they had like chicken for dinner the right. next day, it was like chicken soup, chicken masala, fried chicken. So it was good. <laughs> yeah. It was good. Just, just got a little monotonous after a while. I hear you. Hey, they're, they're being uh, flexible. You know, they're getting the most out of it. That's always a good thing. Uh, Jose Young's on the money. Mitch effect, turning our attention to the fights. Now you were there at, at fight Island for five fight cards, saw some really good ones, a couple pay-per-views in there. Uh, outside of you know the heavy hitters, the Adi Asanias, the Habibs, what were some of the fights that really stood out to you? What were the fun uh, experiences live? What were some of your favorites to be there in such a close, uh, pretty much isolated venue? Ooh, that's a, so. I wasn't. I I didn't sit next to the octagon for a lot of the fights because I was backstage doing the interviews. But uh, the media would pretty much go out for the first fight of the night. And then we'd go out for the main event. So the main event, obviously, also I saw like Holly Holm, Ortega Zombie, uh, like the two title fights. Uh, so I got to see all the big names, uh, but obviously I watched a lot of the prelims and the undercards in the media room just because they would bring so many fighters. They did like 154 bat post fight interviews uh, during this trip. So I got my got my uh, press conference uh, reps in for sure. Uh, but I was a really big fan of the Gurom versus Gamrot fight. I think yeah. it was the the last the last fight card. But one of the last few fights, it might have been the Ortega uh, zombie fight. That fight was awesome because I'm obviously a big fan of Gamrot. He was a K, he was a KSW champ champ, and he had a. I was he was one of those guys that he was just too good not to be in the UFC. And so it was pretty much just like when is he going to get to the UFC? When is he going to the UFC? And then he signed. And he went through a couple opponents, and then he obviously signed with a Guram. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. He's from Georgia. When I say Georgia, I mean the country no, yeah, of Georgia. The yeah, the country of Georgia. He's uh, one of Kamzat uh, Shamayas and Alexander uh, Gustafsson's training partners in Sweden, uh, lightweight. So I knew enough about him, but I thought uh, Gamrot was just the man. Uh, and that fight ended up being absolutely fantastic. Uh, so I would say th- those two. That fight was one of my favorite fights outside of main events. The Kaikara fronts Brandon Royvel fight from the first pay per view. That fight was an absolute banger. Uh, both guys got dropped a bunch of times with some weird punches, like spinning back elbows, like Superman punches, and then Brandon Royvel got the tap. Yeah. And now he's fighting for a possible number one contender fight uh, next November. So he was a he was a big guy, uh, a big win for him. So a lot of awesome fights on the undercard, but uh, not a lot of submissions. So I always have a soft spot for submissions. Lauren Murphy obviously staked her claim. Uh, for impossible title shot, I know a contender fight coming up in the women's flyweight division on that last card. Robert Whitaker obviously just shattered Jared Cannonier's mm-hmm. arm when he yeah. won. Um, there was so many. Yeah. There were so many fights, man. There's like a hundred seven fights I had to watch. But those are the, those are some of the performances yeah. that stand out. Obviously, I have Joe Walking Buckley's uh, like could be the greatest knockout history of the UFC uh, off of Impa Kasangane, who Impa Kasangane oh, is one yeah. of the nicest human beings who's that ever was, lived. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. One of the greatest knockouts. I, I wouldn't say it's the greatest because uh, when I count greatness, I think of stakes. So like the Holly Holm knockout, the Chris Wyman knockout, the Conor McGregor knockout, the Korean zombie getting KO'd by Yaya Rodriguez. Like those, I think those were all greater. But in terms of athleticism, yeah, this might be the most athletic knockout I've ever seen in my entire life. 
It's definitely up there. Uh, and home, you mentioned her. That was a great performance by her against Saldana in that in that fight night. I just want to point that out yeah, as well. Probably the best performance she's had since her fight against Ronda. Yeah, that's very well. I mean, she's trying Jermaine to throw herself. Uh, Jermaine Durand, he got the tap on uh, Juliana Pena. Who mm-hmm. and so if Amanda Nunes retires like she's been hinting at, hinting at, I would think Holly Holm, Jermaine Durand, for the vacant bantamweight title would be the way to go. Well, Five you, rounds. It's a great idea, and I was just gonna say you were being on you being on Fight Island. You saw a lot of fights. You kind of saw also the, uh, the a shifting in the I want to say pecking order in the guard. You know some title changes, some some fighters that might be going to different weight classes, some fighters that might be walking away from the sport. I want to get right into Habib though because you were at the Octagon uh, at, at Fight Island for that fight which he yeah. says is going to be his last fight. The performance against Gaethje was uh, another incredible win with the triangle choke for him to get to 29-0. and 0. But what was the, the atmosphere like for that one, to see Habib fight? A lot of people thought that this could be his last fight. He, he said that much afterwards. It was an emotional moment in the octagon. And even watching it on the screen, it felt like there was a little more buzz, a little more voltage in that arena. Yeah, I mean, well, A, because there were just there was like more people than – the other fights just happened to be in that arena in general uh, because there was a lot of media. There were a couple guest fighters. Uh, Michael Chandler was sitting there. Obviously, he was very obviously pretty heavily invested in the in the main event. Uh, so there was just more people. There was more media. There was more cameramen. There was like BT Sports and ESPN had booths set up. So uh, there was four. It felt it was for the first time since the pandemic hit and the UFC was doing all these pandemic cards. It felt like an arena. Like there were a lot of, there were more people than I wanted in that arena, if that makes sense. Especially during a pandemic, I was like, "There's way too many people in here." But they had to add a whole nother row for just so the media could watch. So uh, the the buzz around Habib would be an understatement. He's basically Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ to a lot of these people in the Middle East. A lot of the staff in Abu Dhabi would, where they would be friendly, saying, "Oh, how are the fights? This and that." They would always ask, when does Habib get here? When does Habib get here? When does Habib get here? He is such a big deal in that part of the world that they, like, staff would ask for him specific. When is is he going to come here? Is he going to go there? When is he going to be at the beach? When is he going to fight? When can I watch? Like, can I, you know, people were upset. So this is what I was told by one of the bartenders when I was kind of chit-chatting with one of them because there was Mm -hmm. one bar open that we could go to. In this part of the world, a lot of the fights are just shown. It's not a pay-per-view. Like, it's just shown on whatever network they have. Okay. The Habib fight was a pay-per-view, which is kind of unheard of in that part of the world. So, like, we have to pay to watch Habib. And, like, they were trying to describe how big of a deal with that is because pay-per-views aren't really a thing in, in, the, in the United Emirates. So, a uh, United Arab Emirates. So, it was, like, it was new territory for them and they did they were very upset they couldn't watch the beat for free uh because if they couldn't buy it they weren't gonna be able to watch it uh while they were at work so yeah habib is a massive massive deal over there did you know anything was wrong with him before the fight in terms of like his injury yeah, i have absolutely, like that. absolutely no idea yeah. absolutely no idea so that was uh that just goes to show you uh the dude, the toughest dude, one of the toughest dudes I've ever met in my life. Like it's if there's, there's like a part in the fight if you watch where his foot gets stuck in the chain link bench, his broken foot, and you can see him visibly wince. So yeah, uh, real tough cat. I, you know, and, and I know you have an affinity for Justin Gaethje too, being the Arizona ties, um, yep. and I'm a big fan as well. 
Um, every time I watch Khabib, man, and, and I and I do think he's earned the right, obviously, if this is it. And it, it does feel like a real retirement, not a, a holdout of any sort or a break even. But whether or not he comes back, I selfishly would like to see him fight more because uh, he is just a, a, a master in there. But I get the same thought, like, how is this dude fighting at 155? Because physically, <laughs> strength and how big he looks and how strong he is, it just jumps out at you. Yeah, dude's a big guy, but he's not. he's missed once before. Against Abel Trujillo, uh, and that, since then it hasn't been an issue. He made it this time. I know there's all that controversy, but no one complained. Like, have, if Justin Gage didn't complain, I don't think anyone else should, should really complain because he was really the only one affected by it. Uh, so yeah, he made it though. So until he's until he really starts missing weight, mm-hmm. just let him keep fighting there, I guess. Very emotional moment afterwards, uh, especially yeah. with with you know his father passing and Habib saying that that it was his last fight. Do you think though that there's a chance we'll see him again? Um, after the fight, I would say no. Uh, Habib's a man of his word, and he yeah. said it was up to his mom, which is obviously admirable because uh, she didn't want him to fight without her his father. But so right immediately after, I was like, no way, this this man ever fights again. Uh, but after after of course. Um, Dana White has since come out and said uh, he's pretty confident Habib fights one more one more time to make it thirty and zero. Who he fights? Absolutely no idea. <laughs> I want to see one. the I want to see the GSP fight, obviously, uh, but I don't know if GSP will drop down to one fifty five. And I know uh, Habib doesn't want to do catch weight fights, uh, so I don't know. Uh, I would say maybe maybe Tony Ferguson. I think maybe book that Tony Ferguson fight just because that's the one fight that got away. But man, I don't know. There was a I moment. Really don't know. There was a moment in the interview, and, and Habib super humble gave props to Gaethje, his team. Uh, but there was that moment in the post-fight interview when when he said, "I've already choked out both Connor and for him." For he's it's not like, wrong. He's not. He's not wrong. He's twenty-nine and zero. If this is it for him, what a what a career, what a recent run it's been. Where is he, Jose, on your pecking order of the greats of all time? In the annals of sports, the annals of MMA. <laughs> annals of M- MMA. We'll, keep well he's it there. the greatest. He's the greatest lightweight of whoever lives. Agreed. That's that is for sure. <sighs> greatest of, I think the, my personal the greatest of all time is George Saint Pierre. I think if John Jones wins the heavyweight championship because he's moving up, I think you have to put him number one just because I think he's had a, more competition, and he's had more title defenses and all that stuff. Um, if Izzy wins this light heavyweight title. I think you'd have to consider him in your top 10, but maybe not top five yet. You can't have a top five without Demetrius Johnson. You can't, you have to include Anderson Silva. Mm. You'd have to include Amanda Nunes, I think. She's the greatest female fighter who ever lived. So I would probably put Habib three, maybe four, behind GSP and John Jones. Because uh, he's 20, like, no, no losses. That's no. Um, like, like, title defenses are great. The dude's also only lost two rounds in his life. <laughs> so like he's the most dominant fighter of all time in terms of yeah. greatness. If he retires thirty, you know, say he beats Tony Ferguson or GSP, I could put him number two behind John Jones if if John wins the heavyweight title because you got to like obviously John Jones has all the stuff off off yeah. the octagon and I don't disagree with anyone that takes that into account. Like if like DeCormier says, I don't consider John or Anderson in my top five because of their their the asterisk next to their name. I won't disagree with that, but my personal one, I think John Jones and Anderson were already in that upper echelon before all that happened, kind of like Barry Bonds. Uh, at, like Barry Bonds never took steroids. He still, still won MVPs still, before. Yeah, still Hall of Famer. Still probably 
still probably the greatest left left fielder who ever lived. Uh, just just tainted his legacy. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I it's it's tough. I'd probably put him three or four right now. Most dominant by a mile in terms of greatness. Three or four. But this is like the whole John Jones LeBron thing. I mean Michael Jordan LeBron thing. Like Jordan's greatest, but LeBron's probably more talented. It, I was thinking of the same. I was thinking in the same vein of a good metaphor to kind of describe it. And I kept coming back to like NFL running backs. Like Khabib had is twenty nine and zero, and you know doesn't have necessarily the the resume that the guys like GSP and John Jones have earned, and, and the big wins over a longer over a longer stretch time. But in the moment, like you like I always think of Barry Sanders and Emmitt Smith, right? You see Emmitt, yeah. you see Barry Sanders live, and you're like, this is the most dominant running back maybe I've ever seen. He didn't last as long. He was there for more, a flash compared to guys like Emmett Smith that ran up the record mm-hmm. books and, and a testament to guys like that and John Jones who still keeps it going. But I'm just thinking like in the moment, in a fight, in, in one big fight in terms of domination, I haven't seen anyone more physically dominant at that high level. Even though I it's agree. not as long and of it's a also, run. Also, like, you have to take into account, like, I consider lightweight the, the most talented division in the history of MMA. Because uh, like, in terms of like top to bottom, probably like, yeah. if you – if you look at the, say, top 10 right now of lightweight, anyone could be champion. Like, you, you, you can't tell me Charles Oliveira couldn't be champion. He's, like, sitting at seven. And that's what's Paul probably going to happen. Like, it, it, yeah. Khabib walks away. Like, I mean, obviously, McGregor, Connor's in the mix. Poirier's in the mix. But I don't see a fighter in the near future just running through the division like Khabib. Like, I, I see title changes. I think Izzy's the only one. That you could say, like, well, he's I would going say to just run away. Well, lightweight. Oh, yeah, yeah lightweight. Yeah, that division. Lightweight, no. I think, uh, yeah, I think you're right. So, it's, yeah, so it's 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 tough, man. It's the toughest division because, like, 155 is, like, the average male size. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I don't see anyone getting close to Habib's level in terms of lightweight greatness in a very long time. There's obviously some guys on the on the up and up. Like I said, Gamrot and Guram are really, really impressive. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no one that I can see off the top of my head. So many different styles, too, and that's part of it 100%. as well. 100%. Um, Jose Young's Money Mitch effect, you brought him up. But uh, in terms of just performance art, just mastery of martial arts, where would you rate that Adi Asanya fight? Because that was about as dominant as uh, <laughs> that was just beautiful to watch. I mean, he just absolutely destroyed Costa, made him look outclassed the entire fight. Oh yeah, I mean, it's he pitched a perfect game. I know uh, Paulo Costa says that he was hurt mm. Uh, mm. or his leg was hurt then, which is fine. Uh, it could be true, but I kind of assumed that was going to happen. But if you, the only thing I would say, like if you watch that fight, it seems like Paulo Costa had cornered Izzy a few times, like because it's really hard to corner fighters. Uh, or cut the cage off in an octagon as opposed to a boxing ring because you can corner guys in the corner, you can cut off the ring and everything. It's harder in like in the octagon. But I think Paulo really did back Izzy into the into the fence a few times, and at that point in time, he needed to just bum rush him, just like blitz forward and uh, and, and and keep him against the fence. But he would throw these spinning kicks, and Izzy would see them a mile away and just dodge them and then circle around, and then he would be in control again. So. Paulo Costa did himself no favor. So the two things happened. Israel Adesanya is the best striker in the UFC. I don't think there's an argument. All-around striker. Maybe the greatest I've ever liked. Obviously, Gokan Saki is in the UFC, one of the greatest kickboxers who ever lived. Dustin Jacoby is also in the UFC, one of the top kickboxers uh, before he came back to MMA. Uh, and there's you can't have 
striking lifts without like Krokop, Semi Shill, Anderson sure. Silva, like all of these just insane strikers. Izzy might be better than all of them in terms of I in terms of the combination of IQ, power, precision, at, like like uh, he, his 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 striking rate. Like he doesn't throw anything without reason, and so the combination he he pitched a perfect game, and Paulo Costa forgot to take the bat off his shoulder. You, that's what happened on Saturday. Just two things happened, and it was one of the most dominant performances I've ever seen inside of an octagon. I don't know how you beat that guy. I, I just I don't know. And uh, he's got, you know, a division that he's owned. And with Whitaker beating Cannoneer, that you know it looks like they're probably gonna maybe run that back. I mean, I don't know. The Jones thing is out there because the Israel like Sanya fight. Is yeah, he's gonna fight. Is he's fighting Jan Blahovich next for oh, the light heavyweight champion? Is that March? He's going up to fight the new in March, and he'll probably. And then he said he would go up to heavyweight oh. and fight John Jones for a third belt. I'm like, all right, guy, let's let's pump the brakes. Well, a little that's bit. like, and this, yeah. So I would just say, like, Do you give, have, like, yeah. if that's the, if that's gonna happen, wait because then you're holding you're, up three divisions. You're also like heavyweight belt. Like, <laughs> I know I'm gonna do the whole Stipe thing again, but like, we're 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 going after belts and guys that aren't even there yet. Like, if Jones gets heavyweight, then figure that out. You know? Yeah. Like let's Jones just... will like because Stipe is gonna fight uh, and got Francis and Ganu in March too. Uh, that allegedly, uh, so if March that's the case, Mar- that either March or April, one of those two. I think uh, March might be another fight island card, maybe. So February, or March for Izzy uh, or John Jan Blahovich is realizing because champion gets top billing, and Izzy would be going after the light heavyweight. So it would be Blahovich versus Adesanya, and then I think it would be Miocic Francis the next pay per view, because I don't think they want Izzy to fight in the co-main event because obviously the UFC puts. Um, uh, heavier weight at the top, unless you're Conor McGregor. Uh, like even Ronda Rousey was co-main event, so like Anderson Silva, like Con- yeah. Conor's pretty much the only one that will fight above the weight classes. So heavyweight titles should never be co-main event. Uh, so I don't think they want Izzy to be anything outside of the main event. So I would I would assume they wait. Uh, they they would separate those two fights on two different cards. Yeah, I don't want to see Adi Asanya go all the way up to heavyweight for a variety of reasons. Number one being holding up divisions. Number two being I still have a little of that Roy Jones Jr. DNA in me where it's like if you go up and then try to keep coming back down, I just don't, you know, if you're going to move up, move up, like make the commitment, you know. Right. But you go up, come back down, I just don't know if that's the wise thing to do, especially we're talking um, two divisions. Uh, Last thing on UFC I wanted to bring up from your Fight Island trip what was your reaction? Were you let down a little bit by the final inevitable fight that we were waiting on, that you were waiting on between T-City oh, and Korean Zombie? Right. You, were, you oh, were waiting on it more than anybody, no, good, I think. It was a good scrap. It was a really good scrap. I'm not going to lie. Um, it wasn't what I was expecting, but uh, Korean Zombie, to his credit, like he ate that spinning back elbow in the second round, and that was that was the game changer. Like He has put out a video since in, in Korean, so I, it was translated for me, obviously. Um, he considers the loss to Brian Ortega. It was technically a five-round decision loss, but he considers it a second-round knockout loss because he doesn't remember round oh, three, man. four, five. Like he was on autopilot, and he's like, "I don't remember the fight after getting hit with that spinning back elbow," and that's the same elbow that uh, Yair Rodriguez hit. So obviously, that's one of his weaknesses. But uh, really good scrap. Brian Ortega looked better than I've ever seen him ever on his feet. Didn't really need his grappling. So awesome fight. Awesome, awesome fight, and I cannot wait for Brian Ortega to fight uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. I hope back on Fight Island. 
Yeah, I think we're all waiting for that fight. Uh, it's unfortunate for Max Holloway. I keep bringing up that the decisions went down, but where there's you know opportunity, there's somebody else ready to fill those shoes, and it looks like it's Brian Ortega. That was a phenomenal performance by him, and just again proving how tough Korean Zombie is. I do want to segue though because that fight, while it wasn't the early UFC 254 start time. ESPN put that on the air a little early, and I think we, we know why. It's because Lomachenko fought Lopez that night. Well, that also on ESPN. So it, it basically the UFC fed into boxing. So uh, people that stuck around uh, with the with the UFC fight were then treated to a Lomachenko fight. Uh, not the worst thing to close your no, night. No, I had a great night personally, and uh, that fight. I know you're a boxing fan as well. You were able to see it. You told me before we started, and uh, it was incredible. I want to start by saying this. All props to Lopez. He deserved it. It was a tight fight. He he won those early rounds, dominated 100%. a few of them. 100%. Lomachenko was making up distance. I actually had it, had it 7-5, to five, and I thought that would have been like a pretty fair scorecard, 8-4. Mm-hmm. Even a draw would be like, oh, okay. But uh, we got to talk about uh, Letterman, R.I.P. Letterman's daughter, who had it 11-1 to one because that's just obscene, and we had to have a tribute to Badding at some point in the night. It was... I don't <laughs> 11 to 1. 11 to 1. I don't understand. Like I I mean it doesn't really I mean it's a it's at the end of the day it could have been a worse like I personally like what was the like what was that one judge that gave Canelo like 10 rounds? Is it uh, Triple G? Was it Bird? Probably. It was one I mean of I, I don't want to there okay, she's had bad scorecards so I'm not just going out of left field but I think she was one of the judges during the first Bradley Pacquiao fight too. Yeah. Uh, like sure. we've had and like all I can say is at least she didn't at least this person didn't score for Lomachenko and at least it wasn't a way that Lomachenko would win you know right it's obviously at the end of the day like this story 11-1 is egregious and this judge should never judge again but thank god <laughs> it didn't like sway the fight for Lomachenko in yeah. any way because then we would have to be talking about probably the biggest robbery in the history of boxing, like up there with Hag. Like, who who's the guy that beat Marvin Hagler? Uh, was that was that um, Sugar uh, Ray Leonard beat him? Yeah, that like, was that's ridiculous. Kind of like, like, I don't want, I don't care what anyone says. Uh, marvelous Marvin Hagler won that fight. Yep. Also, I think I personally think Triple G is two and zero against at least, Canelo. At least one zero and one. At the very least, one zero and one. <laughs> I think at least one. Yeah, I think at yeah. least one and one. Like, I don't even think that first one was a draw. I think he won the first fight, yeah. and then I could see he won the second one. If anything, it should be 1-1, one, one, yeah. and we should be having a trilogy with two of the best boxers of their generations, and we're not. And it's a yeah. travesty. Boxing is a nightmare. Uh, who's the guy that beat Pacquiao down in Australia, too? That was a nightmare. That was ridiculous. Horn beat stuff. him, and that, yeah. was, that was insane. You had Bradley on the call on that one, too. It was all the ghosts out there. Uh, the judge in that Canelo-Mayweather fight I looked it up was C.J. Ross, so... That was, yeah, it the was other a draw, one was bad. and that was insane. Um, the other one. <laughs> the problem is, the problem is though, like that we're still talking about judging, and we're not, you know, it's taking the shine away from a dominant performance by Lopez, a guy who I actually mentioned a year ago is could be on Lomachenko's radar as someone that we're looking to maybe challenge because Lomachenko is running out of fighters, and yeah. Loma may have been hurt. He didn't use it use it as an excuse. Lopez brought the fight to him. He was the aggressor, and he stood in there for 12 rounds against one of the best boxers either of us have ever seen. 
I, I really want to see this again, and, and I don't know if we're going to see it right away because we're going to get to like the fight divisions, at that, especially at those divisions, are so stacked. But that was just a high-quality fight, and props to Lopez for you know getting the job done. It, it's one thing to be in there and, and win a couple rounds. You could say this for MMA too. But 12 rounds with the champ and, and taking the title from him is something. It's him. Now he's undisputed, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's so got all four belts. He's, like, like, it's un, like, how old is he? Like 24? 25 maybe yeah like we've been talking about that like he won in in i don't none of like neither of us disagree like there's no 23 just turned too dude he's 20 he's seven years young 23 years old i i was like working for free and this cat is beating who and i think lomachenko is still the most talented boxer in the world I, I really do. And yeah, I those really last rounds, people. man. Like the, when Lomachenko turned it on, like I thought it was probably too little, too late. But that was just beautiful. Oh, it was absolutely. It, too, it was absolutely too motions. little, too late. The fluid he, uh, motions there were just great. But he, you know, he he thought that like a lot of fighters that he's fought, he's, this guy will fade. You know, he, he'll just he'll punch himself out early. He won't be able to bring the heat, and that was not the case. And I think he just realized it too late. Idiot. Like I don't know what he what he was doing. I have no idea. Like he also did. He had shoulder surgery. Whatever. Like if he had surgery, he had surgery. But I know he landed at a higher percentage. But like what was like? I think there was like the graphic on the at the end, or maybe I saw it after. Like he like Lopez threw almost seven hundred punches, and Lomachenko threw maybe three hundred. So Lomachenko landed at a higher percentage. But Lopez landed more. But the, the comparison of like – so like Lomachenko landed like 120 of 300. And then Lopez landed like 100 or 200 of 700. So yeah, on paper, Lomachenko had a higher percentage rate. But Lopez outthrew him and outlanded him. So it was just a tale of two fighters. Lomachenko just started way too late. If he had fought like he did in those last four, four or five rounds, it would have been a different story. That division, man, that that division is uh, is getting pretty exciting because Dude, I know you me. saw on Saturday what happened. Sure did. <laughs> that was you, we talked knockouts at the start. I think it's a good way to kind of put a bow on this whole thing. That was one of the best. That was one of the best, and with the stakes too, knockouts in mm-hmm. a boxing a boxing finish. I've seen. I probably put that up top of my list for not like well. I mean that's Santa not Cruz that's got to be up there. there. Like Santa Cruz was in that fight. 100%. Davis, you can go back to the scorecards. It might have been Davis by a round, but Santa Cruz was hanging with him, and then and then all of a sudden it's over. Like that's a this fight is over. Knock like you knew he yeah. wasn't getting up. Yeah, it's uh, I probably put that. It's that would have to be on the top of my list for knockouts of the year. It's hard because like you you'd have to really think like is Fury Wilder is that really a knockout or did you kind of like a that's retirement? A stoppage, yeah. You know, it was a stoppage so. In terms of just absolute knockout, like this is way up there for knockouts of the year for me. But my God, like lightweight and featherweight is just emerging as the most exciting division in boxing. Well, we can get that welterweight fight hopefully with Crawford and Spence because that would be just insane. oh yeah. I but mean, like I like yeah, it's like Davis should be fighting Lopez. Like in a perfect world, those two fight. Mm-hmm. Lomachenko's fighting Javante Davis or like Ryan Garcia is what like twenty and zero. He's super That's... popular. Yeah. He has a fight with Campbell coming up. Like Campbell's already lost to Lomachenko, if I'm not mistaken. So like, why isn't why aren't these guys fighting? It's getting better though. I mean, I, I do think it in the last it couple of years it, it was terrible, but it should be a little better. I think we still have the contract thing, honestly. And I'm not trying to shill for ESPN, but them getting boxing has really improved this with oh, availability, yeah, but also with fighters that are able to fight there. 
uh, it, it's in a good place right now. And, and I think, uh, you know, at the top as well, Fury, the drama there of not really wanting to fight Wilder again. There's some beef going on there. What's going to happen? We're, we're all trying to get to Fury Joshua, but eventually. Because I think, I, I think what we're starting to see, too, is we just want new fights. So it, it might be a yeah. little unfair to Wilder because he's owed technically that third fight. But, you know, we're all just clamoring for Fury Joshua. Absolutely. And I mean, like, I still want to see Fury Wilder. I want to see Ruiz fight Dillian White. I want to see, like, all these, like, I want to see, like, the heavyweight division right now is probably in, like, the top 10. It's better than it's been in, like, 20 years. Like, back to, like, the Lennox Lewis era. That Ukrainian guy, too. Um, uh, what's his name? I can't, it begins with a U. He's, yeah, I know what you're talking about. He just actually, who did he fight? Um, Alexander Usich. Uh, he's 17 and 0. Uh, he's, he yeah. almost beat, who did he just beat? He is undefeated, but yeah, his last fight was against uh, Chisora. It was a unanimous oh, just, decision. Yeah, but that Chisora, like that was like this past weekend, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah Chisora's like, whatever. Chisora's yeah. like a character and kind of hothead. He's never going to be champ. He's lost to pretty much every one of the top right. five. I would like to see Chisora maybe fight. Um, man, I don't know. Has, it, he's, has he fought Garcia yet? I mean, uh, Ruiz? I don't think so. I, so, I have like, to double check fun, on that like, one. Di- before Dillian White lost. I wanted uh, Dillian White to fight uh, Ruiz. Now, Ruiz, uh, the rematch with Josh was there. If he wants to fight Wilder, that'd be fun. If he wants to fight Chisora, that'd be fun. If he wants to rematch Joseph Parker, because, again, that was a majority draw or majority decision because his only two losses are to Parker and Joshua. Um, Man, it's tough. Like, heavyweight is awesome. Uh, Ruiz seems to be the forgotten guy right now just because of how awful he looked in his rematch with Anthony Joshua. So I think Joshua needs to fight Fury. I'd like to see Wilder fight Ruiz. I'd like to see Dillian White maybe fight Ruiz. Yeah. It's well I Dillian think, White also got knocked out dead like I've, recently. Oh so. god. I think Usage is in line to fight Joshua next cuz I think It's good. I like the fight. I think that was part of the deal. Um obviously the pandemic complicates things, but um yeah, and that's the other thing too is this Ukrainian guy. He's sparring with uh, Klitschko. I've read that. So He's got I some mean, hey, training. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the uh, that's what you need right there. So uh, I don't hate it. I just I, wish they. I wish the division yeah. like Eddie Hearn is great. Yeah. Matchbox, yeah. Match, yeah. Match, Matchbox boxing is awesome. Uh, I just wish they would like. There's no reason why. There's no reason why uh, Wilder kind of seems to be the forgotten guy right mm-hmm. now because he he freaking fought. Yeah. Uh, he, like he he needs that trilogy with uh, Fury. Yeah, unfortunate there. Uh, but boxing, another another thing that gets us going right now. Uh, Jose Young's just was a blast. Uh, of course, got to ask you, what's new in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling? Dude, I it's going to be brutal. I have no idea. Oh, no. Because of the time difference. And, and like, there's no way, like, there was nothing to, like, the TVs and everything in Abu Dhabi don't obviously show any wrestling, especially in New Japan. And if you've been anywhere in the Middle East, they kind of block a lot of the, websites that i normally watch new japan wrestling on so this might be the first money mitch show that i have absolutely no no idea what's happening i haven't been able to catch up next week i have a little bit of a break and i plan on catching up on one and cody bushi and uh, evil versus naito and everything so the next time i'm on i'll have an answer i know your boy naito has both titles i do know that i know he got it back i know he got them back dude's an incredible worker man it's uh it, wrestling during a pandemic is weird. I actually watched some of the WWE's product with the Thunderdome down in Tampa, yeah. and it's I don't it's, hate it. It's not terrible. Um, yeah, I don't hate it. 
you know, you what I think you're seeing, and, and I am I'm not as in tune to wrestling, obviously, as in tune to wrestling as I was. But from what I've seen, I mean, the the wrestlers that are obviously great talkers, but are in tune with their character the most. It's actually yeah. a time to shine. It's you not know. bad, and I, Roman Reigns is awesome got, right now. Yeah, his, that's incredible. Like that his Uso storyline, his was feud with Jimmy and Jay, incredible. and bring his and bringing in his dad, the Wild Samoans. I think they're. I really Ooh. do think they're building up to a, a Mania match with The Rock, which I would. I'm actually completely in favor of. I just don't want. Obviously, don't want it to be for the title. That's like the big thing. Because I can't be there. Well, I think if The Rock and in Roman Reigns wrestled, it would be for the because like right now they're wrestling for quote uh, this the right to call themselves High Chief of the of the family because they're both from that same Samoan mm-hmm. the Inoue family. So I wouldn't hate if it was for the title and for the High Chief crown, just because I think if they if they headline Mania with that, it would just do absolutely bonkers. It's insane how big and powerful in the wrestling world that family is. Like, hundred percent. I, I mean, I grew up watching wrestling and most of those guys, and I'm always like, oh yeah, that's right. There's there's this side, there's this cousin. Like, you lose track of how many impactful, you know, great wrestlers that family has produced, men and women. So yeah, what Roman Reigns has done has been incredible. Uh, obviously, if you just hundred percent sprinkle some Paul Heyman, considering, considering how like badly they screw him in previous eras. Yeah, I can't wait to see how that goes. Uh, Jose Young's catch him on MMAfighting.com. Always a pleasure chatting combat sports with you. Uh, next time, I think we'll have some big fights to talk about. And sure so hope we'll so. Be, we'll be looking forward to that. Jose, thanks for coming on the show. You got it, man. It's always fun talking with Jose. Appreciate him coming on the show and uh, trying to adjust back to North American life. Big thanks to him. There's some big fights coming up starting you know, this weekend with uh, the return of Thiago Santos. He's fighting the first time since his loss to Jones, John Jones, in a controversial split decision that saw him injure pretty much all the ligaments in his legs. So some big MMA coming up as well as boxing. Always good to chat with him. We'll have him back on the show soon for sure. All right, now we're going to switch it up, talk about the NFL with Adam Musto calling in from Chicago. He's a very analytical, stats-based guy, and he's got some funny takes as well. We're going to talk about the NFL season and where we're at through eight weeks, what to expect going forward, who are the contenders, who are the pretenders. It's Adam Musto on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now back on the Money Mitch Effect to talk some more football. First time this year, reoccurring guest, friend of the show, my old co-worker, Adam Musto. Adam, thanks for calling in. Uh, how goes it for you in the Midwest? Pretty good, pretty good. Just hanging in there, you know, NFL-wise, around that, obviously, that halfway point of the season where things are kind of falling into place. You know, as a biased Bears fan, it's a little frustrating to go from the first seed in the NFC to out of the playoffs in a matter of a couple of weeks. But I guess it shouldn't be too big of a surprise. We're just kind of taking it a week at a time and seeing how, uh, you know, all the fun stuff around the NFL season plays out. For sure. I do want to, you know, I do want to start with this. Everybody here knows you're a Bears fan. But uh, if I asked you, you know, when the season started, OK, we're going to look at your record. We're going to, you know, look at you at that five and three range. At this point of the year, you probably would have been like, "Okay, <laughs> like this is a this is a positive." Now, obviously, on the outside, given what's happened and you know, kind of the state of a lot of positions, quarterback in particular, it's not that great. But five and three was probably pretty good. If you you probably take that before the season started, 
I think I definitely would if you had told me that. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of on pace for a 10 and 6 record, which I think is pretty good for what I was expecting. You know, obviously it's a lot better to than 5 and 1 where the Bears were in the in the middle of October, but um and totally yeah, just totally a weird season obviously with the wins they've had and a couple of losses, you know, you'll look back and say, well, we could have had this one, we could have had this one, but overall from a win-loss perspective, things look good. I'm sure a lot of this stuff will play out with more divisional matchups and, and, you know, some tough matchups down the season. And I don't know how sustainable those miracle wins could be. And it just always seems like the bears kind of always fade toward the second half of the season. But I I guess at five and three, not a ton of complaints and just trying to take it a week at a time as the old adage goes. Yeah. I think it's overshadowed. Obviously quarterback is the, is the narrative in the league and, and, you know, it's going to, be kind of a reoccurring negative theme in Chicago until you guys get it right, but it is overshadowing the fact that the defense has looked pretty amazing. I mean, in terms of you know certain times where they've kind of struggled, they, they've done well against good competition, and they've been put in bad spots by their offense. So I, I'm, I'm with you there. I think the defense has been playing pretty well for Chicago. Not just Khalil Mack, the secondary has made leaps and bounds as well. I just like to see more out of that offense, and I keep going back to the situation of it's not just that quarterback position. The running game is, has struggled, and there's times when I'm sure you're very frustrated with uh, Nagy's play calling too. Yeah, it's, you know, especially I think in today's NFL, as we talk about how the passing numbers are so high, you know, a 95 quarterback rating sometimes doesn't even get it done for a team. Uh, the way the defense is played is, is amazing. But, yeah, I feel like on the offensive side of the ball, exactly like you said, it's not even just the quarterback controversy, but it's almost like this offensive team doesn't have an identity. You know, when you draft someone like David Montgomery, who's supposed to be the power horseback, um, which you don't see a lot in the NFL, but, you know, he's got an under four yards per carry average. Um, it's almost like, you know, you can go back to the days 2006 as an example, 2001 where maybe the Bears defense led them and they didn't have a great quarterback, but they could always lead – on the offensive side of the ball, lead to a, a, a solid running back, you know, like right. Thomas Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, biggest biceps, he would get mm-hmm. you, you know, that 4.5 average. But they don't have that now. I mean, they probably have better receivers, or at least Allen Robinson, arguably a better receiver than they've had in a super long time. But other than that, there's just no real offensive identity that at least it can make up for one unit on the offense struggling. Yeah, I was just a little disappointed that, especially at the end of regulation, it didn't seem like they were going for the win. You know, it seemed like they had the momentum and they were just trying to settle in for a field goal when the Saints were a little bit on the ropes. But uh, still 5-3. and three. It's not all doom and gloom. Uh, as we'll get to another team, the rest of that division, it's not, you know, run away by any means just yet. Uh, we mm-hmm. did see uh, some fight in the Bears literally. Saw a player punch someone with a helmet on and get a two-game suspension. <laughs> Yeah, that was a weird sequence of events and just kind of the how nonchalant the uh, Saints cornerback was. But and I, I think you're just not used to seeing that, and so very bizarre. I mean, that'll definitely go down in the follies, or you know, yeah. you know, and obviously he's out for a couple of games. But uh, very bizarre. But I guess sometimes you just got to have emotions running high, um, and you got to let it out somehow. Not that I'm condoning that in any way. No. Uh, one of the reasons why, though, I think the Bears still have some optimism because there there is, you know, at the halfway point, you bank those wins. There's time to kind of maybe develop an identity. And, and the rest of it, you know, Adam, is the fact that the Green Bay Packers haven't exactly run away with this division. Now, they're five and two, a half game above you guys going into a game against a depleted San Francisco team if that game does actually happen as we record this on Wednesday night. But. The Packers, you know, have dropped two games now. They lost to Tampa Bay, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. 
but we've kind of all chalked up a lot of Green Bay losses that that you know they they do flame out at times in the regular season. We've seen them get kind of shellacked. Uh, so that one one game, you just chalk it up as one thing. Then we saw what happened with the Vikings. Now this past weekend, Minnesota puts it on them, Adam, and they uh, you know it's a division rivalry game. Minnesota was one and five going into it, but you think okay maybe it's a rivalry game, anything can happen. But Adam, the Packers got manhandled. And it's kind of what happened in the Tampa Bay game. They got destroyed up front at the line of scrimmage. Rodgers was running for his life for most of it. Dalvin Cook had probably his best game as a pro. And both lines for the Vikings offense and defense absolutely dominated the football game. So I am in the camp that, hold on a second with Green Bay. This, is, this isn't this is just a one loss. A bad loss can happen in the NFL. This is thorough domination. And it's happened twice now in the regular season. Yeah, it, it is a little bizarre to see, you know, from from Green Bay. I don't even know, you know, even that twenty eight point loss to the Buccaneers. I can look back at. It feels like it's been forever since they've had a, a loss. That if, if they, when they do lose, it's you know usually a really close game. And I mean, they had a chance. I, I still feel like Aaron Rodgers' last throw. If you had said he was going to throw a hail mary, I would have said there's a fifty fifty chance of that coming down. You know, before he got the blindside sack. But it, yeah, it, it does feel different. I mean, I'm always very wary about Green Bay turning it on. And I'm looking at their schedule now. I mean, they still play the Jaguars, right. the Eagles, the Lions. Um, those are, and obviously the Bears twice. You know, the the rivalry between the Bears and the Packers hasn't kicked off. Doesn't kick off till Week 12 of the season. So um, those will kind of all play themselves out. But yeah, I'm not going to totally jump off the Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. bandwagon. But I feel like, as we've seen in years past, he does need. I mean, he can do a lot by himself. But it just seems like they always have these holes where they don't have stuff around him yeah. and you know when you're asking him to do so much consistently that could wear down you know at some point i just think big physical football teams have been this team's achilles heel like they can rack up wins i, I agree with you the schedule does open up this is a team that's more than likely going to win the division get to about 12 13 wins even but you wonder what will happen in the playoffs when they have to go against maybe tampa again maybe a saints team that finds himself you know one of those nfc west teams uh, I, I think that's been the issue in the past. And, you know, you look at everyone's going to bring up the fact that, you know, they drafted a quarterback in the first round. And, you know, I, I don't obviously don't think that was the right move with Rodgers still having some obviously left in the tank and this team being close to winning a Super Bowl. But I, I go the other way with the people that thought receiver was the way to go. I mean, Rodgers can make these guys look good and he's got a bona fide stud in Adams. I think defensively they could have used the help, especially in that D line. That's where I think they really whiffed. They could have gotten an impact player uh, in the draft this year, and they chose to go with the quarterback for the future. Yeah, you know, I don't know if it was just something in their scouting that we thought, you know, this is definitely going to be a guy. I mean, we have seen them take chances in the past, um, drafting guys like Brent Hundley and uh, picking up Deshaun Kaiser, not necessarily drafting him, but getting him late where maybe we can develop him somehow. So, yeah, I think they've they've – Drafted well, I know they've struggled maybe the last year or so. So unless they really thought, you know, something about um, their you know rookie quarterback, or he could maybe just sit on the bench for three years, we'll see. But but yeah, I think that having someone on the defensive presence, I totally agree with you, would have definitely helped them because they are close now. I mean, they're not. It's not like potentially what we're seeing with the Patriots, where they're totally in a rebuild. I mean, they're they're right there. Yeah, Patrick Queen went in the late first round out of Louisville to the Ravens, and I just look at him every week thinking, what would he do on this Packer defense with Rodgers still? Obviously with some great football to play, uh, Adam Musto here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, want to stick in the NFC for uh, for just a moment. 
There doesn't really appear to be that front runner. I know we're eight eight weeks in. Teams have played either seven or eight games. The NFC East is a complete disaster. That's like the one consensus. But you have Green Bay. You basically have Seattle at, at six and one, pacing the conference. But Tampa six and two, Saints and, and Packers five and two, along with the Cardinals, Rams five and three. A lot of people are looking at Tom Brady, Tampa Bay, what they have. You know, they just signed Antonio Brown. The defense looks great. A lot of people are looking at them as the best team in the NFC, and, and maybe maybe the better way to put it is the team most likely to make that run to get to the Super Bowl. Do you agree with that, or do you think it's somebody else? Well, the way you phrase it, I think, makes a lot of sense because I feel like Tampa Bay kind of maybe started a little slow, and you know, I wasn't going to write out Tom Brady at all, even though I, I feel like the system that obviously when you pair Brady with Belichick, you're having a lot more firepower. Um, you know, and Seattle, you know, has a loss against the Cardinals, so that was kind of threw a lot of people off. Um, but I think that leadership that Tom Brady brings and the fact that, I mean, they still have, you know, Mike Evans and adding uh, Antonio Brown and, you know, Gronk hasn't necessarily been the Gronk of the past after the year off. But I think down the stretch, I feel like that could take, you know, be an improvement. And I am just kind of throwing out there. I feel, I don't know if that warm weather late in the season helps. I mean, Tom Brady is great in the cold, but maybe just when you get a little older, sometimes it's probably nicer to be playing games in 70 degrees versus 15 degrees if you have the choice. I would say that they are best positioned in part because it's an open NFC to get to the Super Bowl as it stands right now. And no slight to Seattle. They were my preseason pick to actually go all the way. I just have serious issues with that defense. I mean, obviously, Russell Wilson is amazing. And and DK Metcalf might be the best receiver in football already. But every one of I mean, we talk about how good these guys are every week, Adam. And they're they're playing close games. Like, they're putting up insane numbers, but other than this week against San Francisco, uh, they're having trouble, you know, blowing teams out. Like every game is a dogfight. I think that speaks poorly about their defense. So with Shaq Barrett with the with the Tampa defense, and with you know guys like you know Antonio Brown that was just signed in Gronk, who doesn't need to be the Gronk of old because of how many weapons there are on are on that team. Yeah, I think a safe bet would be to just trust Brady and trust the firepower there, and maybe trust the best defense on that side of uh, football in that conference. Yeah, it's a good point you brought up because, yeah, looking at the Seahawks' schedule, they've had you know most of their wins, other than it looks like the Falcons' game, has been by one touchdown or less. And these are teams that, I mean, you know, week two they beat the Patriots, but since then it seems like the Patriots aren't really as hot as we thought they were. So, um, yeah, that does seem like it is a big str- – I mean, Russell Wilson is playing amazing, but I feel like that could pretend – you know, if he continues to take hits or just has to do so much improvisation on his own, I feel like that'll, that could potentially add up down the stretch. Yeah, Tampa had the classic letdown performance this week, the look-ahead performance, if you will. You know, almost losing, almost going to overtime with the Giants, uh, that failed two-point conversion. That was, to me, just they're about to play the Saints. That's a game they pretty much have to have. I think they'll get it. I mean, you can, we'll talk about that later, but they lost to them week one where the Saints were kind of fortunate to catch them week one when they were still figuring it out. But they really... Tampa can't really afford to, you know, lose twice to the Saints in the same season. So I think they were obviously looking ahead. The Saints, obviously, in a battle with the Bears uh, this week. Seattle needed that bounce back against uh, San Francisco, and you know that division. You know, part of it is what the seating is going to be because that division, the NFC West, there's not a single easy game. And I'll even, you know, maybe San Francisco now with all the injuries, they're going to start to, you know, fade and and not be that playoff threat. But you got to think the way they're coached and the depth they have, they're still going to be a tough uh, tough ask to play when they're on your schedule. Definitely, yeah. And, I mean, the 49ers do seem kind of like 
a weird team where, you know, and they'll switch out the quarterbacks a little bit and get different boosts from different guys. But, um, and I think it is also interesting just this year with the extra playoff spot with the seven teams who get three wild cards, you know, you could potentially see, uh, you know, two, two wild card teams, potentially all three, most likely not coming from that division, but obviously home field and potential buy will be so big, but, and Arizona is a team that, you know, it's taken me a little bit of time to kind of jump on their bandwagon, but it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, 2010, when you had seven to nine, eight and eight teams, Sam Bradford and uh, other Seahawks teams making the playoffs, and they were the laughing stock of the NFC when it comes to divisions, and now, you know, now we've moved to the NFC East. Yeah, it's going to happen again. We're, we're getting that 7, 8, and 1, which, by the way, I don't want to spend too much time talking on the NFC East because we keep having to see them in prime time. But the Eagles-Dallas game was just a disaster in, in a lot of ways. Uh, is there any chance, Adam, that anybody else besides the Eagles wins that division? And uh, what do you think the final record is going to be, if you had to guess right now? The winning, the winning division record of whoever wins it. You know, I mean, Washington maybe, but I, I don't really see them. I mean, with some of their quarterback issues, I, I think that Doug Peterson will find a way just kind of down the stretch. And, and you know, especially if, you know, I, I gave – even when Dak Prescott went out, I thought, you know, maybe that they could still rally around the other players, but um, I definitely think they would be under, you know, and even like, you know, so the Eagles in Washington have, have uh, five combined wins and four of them are against their own division team. So outside of the division, I mean, I don't know. They have the tie, which is going to make things a little weird, but definitely a losing record. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they can, it'd be interesting. It'd be bad if they only have six wins. Uh, what the tie would, well, that would make them six, nine, and one, right? But that could be a possibility. Yeah, Doug Peterson has been disappointing. I think a lot of Eagle fans would agree with me on that one. Part of everybody wonders if Frank Wright was really the guy who was pulling the the strings on that football team. But it's also on Wentz, too. I mean, he hasn't played well uh, consistently enough. He makes those great throws, and you're just wondering, where was this the entire game? Uh, but that's part of it. Um, I do want to spend a moment talking about younger quarterbacks because – as we've seen, you know, we got three starting, and there's high potential on all of them. We got the first start of Tua against the Rams. The Dolphins won that game, but there was really not much Tua did to uh, drive forward the uh, the victory, and that's not an indictment on him. That's just the uh, the rarity of you got the defensive touchdown, the special teams touchdown, and you got a Dolphins defense that completely overwhelmed with blitzes Jared Goff in that Rams passing attack. Yeah, that was one that totally surprised me um and yeah exactly i mean you know you have a quarterback he doesn't even have to throw for 100 yards very simple you know i I don't know where they are obviously it'd be great to be in that film room quarterback room to see where they are as far as development how much of the playbook he has how he's picking it up um you know i I don't know what went into the decision of you know now you see quarterbacks that are ready from week one to start so they kind of gave him some time even though ironically it wasn't like ryan fitzpatrick was playing terribly he's playing pretty well and they're still kind of in, you know, in the, they're in the playoff hunt, so it's not like we're just going to throw them out there with nothing else on the line. Yeah, so, you know, you intercept Jared Goff two times, and he throws for 355 yards, but it's the simple plays that are able to get it done and just kind of making it easy for him. And I'm sure as they kind of add more to the repertoire, we'll see kind of at how he is able to develop. and Because and, obviously at some point he's going to have to win a game for them and uh, do it consistently, so we'll see. Yeah, I think part of being a young quarterback is is being able to adjust and also not going to you know not doing anything reckless like we've seen some not just young quarterbacks do. So in that moment, there really wasn't yeah, much for you don't want to lose. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. 
there wasn't really much for Tua to do in that moment. And, uh, you know, that was uh, a total, total great job by the Dolphins who suddenly thrust themselves into the playoff mix. We're going to get to them in a second. But I do want to spend a moment, too, talking about the other, you know, younger quarterbacks in the league. Uh, Joe Burrow beating the Titans, and the Titans have had some issues recently on the defensive side of the ball. But Burrow and, and Herbert for the Chargers, I know they lost this week to Denver. But you got to feel good about these young quarterbacks, Adam, because it looks like they have it, and they have it at a very, very young, uh, young age, and they're early in their careers. The accuracy and the pocket presence for both has been very good so far this season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Herbert's, you know, he's got a great deep ball and he's been making a ton of plays, you know, but they've been losing a lot of games. So I don't know, you know, how, how much obviously is on a young quarterback like that. Obviously a lot of bizarre losses, but it does seem like he really has so much power and, and, and a big playmaker. Um, and, you know, the Bengals are, are a team that, you know, they don't have a lot around it, but we saw what Joe Burrow obviously was in, at LSU. Not that obviously always college translates to the pros, but it seems like he's kind of coming into his own. Uh, week by week and and probably giving fans in Cincinnati something to be excited about for the future yeah I would uh, I would just say that Burrow was somebody that you saw the development happen in college to where you saw pocket presence you saw you know awareness you thought that okay he's got the he's got the look of an NFL quarterback he was more of a sure thing obviously that's why he went number one Herbert has been just a complete you know he's completely impressed me I had my doubts admittedly about him a lot of it was based off some of the Oregon tape and games that I saw but his accuracy especially under pressure I read you know up until a couple weeks ago he was number one I think he's still in the top five with uh with throws accuracy under pressure uh you know that poor Chargers team though because they just cannot protect leads it's it's pretty crazy I thought it was the curse of Philip Rivers but I guess it's kind of stuck on with the rest of the team yeah it's a weird Chargers thing I I don't know what it is I mean even going back I always think of that 2006 playoff game against the Patriots where um, McCree had the interception and fumbled and just one of the I don't know it's a weird thing you know the Chargers haven't won a Super Bowl they've had these weird losses throughout their franchise history I don't know if all that's you know I thought maybe that stuff unfortunately stuck in San Diego but obviously I think a big part of it is just game plan coaching you know down the stretch and being able to just have that killer instinct to close out games Um, I guess when you have a young team that's something that doesn't come naturally and you really have to work on it and you know it is kind of odd just because Herbert is making all these throws but they're just continued to you know weaken with the exception of uh, you know bizarre one against the Jaguars just you know having these really weird losses yeah, I don't know what it is. I mean, it is tough to play in Denver, and Drew Locke's been completely up and down, but uh, he turned it around in the second half. Um, Adam Musto on the Money Mitch Effect through eight weeks of the season. We can look at the AFC right now. And uh, I just want to say, I mean, obviously there, there are going to be seven playoff teams. I mean, it's, it's a chance we could get to eight if you know things happen. The league said they would expand it to eight if possible. Uh, but right now, by my you know estimation, we've got nine teams above 500 right now. So you're looking at maybe nine teams competing, com- competing for those seven spots. One of which is the Miami Dolphins. So I don't want to you know count them out just yet. If anything, giving them props is what I want to do because it's remarkable that they've even been in there. But nine teams above 500. That that shows you you know how bad the bottom of the NFL is too. But it shows you that there's some talented teams for sure in this conference. Yeah, I think, you know, I definitely wrote off the Dolphins as kind of a rebuild team after a couple of weeks. Maybe so much of that is just left over from last year, how, how much they, how poorly they played in the beginning of 
of the year. Now that's kind of transferred to the New York Jets, I feel like, as far as, you know, the AFC East bottom feeders. But, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, even, you know, last week or, you know, when when the Browns played the, the Raiders, that was kind of, you know, that will be a game that down the stretch will probably have playoff implications when you have all these, uh, you know, head-to-head tiebreakers going in. Um, and a lot of the stuff obviously will play out as the teams, you know, as we were talking about the Chargers being able to win close games, close out games, you know, th- that I feel like you just see so much of that for the end of the year. Um, but, yeah, it isn't, you know, even teams like, you know, the Texans who have talent, but they have a terrible record. And and even it's just obviously shocking in, in a way to see that the Patriots are two and five. So just such a big disparity. Um, and, and, you know, even at the very bottom, like a, a one in six Jaguars team, you know, it was all about Minshew mania. And I don't think he's played terribly, but they just, you know, it, there's been issues there. Um, I don't know if he's the long-term answer, but, uh, but I, I guess it is a big disparity. Yeah. Um, I, I'd like that they expanded the playoffs just to get a little bit more, um, more in and see how all that goes. Yeah. That one buy is going to be huge right now. The Steelers are that undefeated seven and zero. um, and I think that Steelers Ravens game was a uh, was a big tone setter for what the second half of the season is going to be. I think the Ravens, I mean, they outgained Pittsburgh and by all intents and purposes deserved to win that game. Uh, if not for the fact that Lamar Jackson and the turnovers cost them dearly, but Pittsburgh is a well coached machine with a very good defense and uh, you know doesn't need Big Ben to really be that elite level quarterback he was in what most would call his prime. That team has a lot of playmakers, adding Claypool. I think we're at a point now, Adam, and I think you would agree with this, that we're all starting to have some trepidation and some doubt with Baltimore on the big stage because they've clearly proven that they can put up numbers and they can and they can rack up wins against teams they should beat, get to the playoffs consistently, I think we could say now. But when they get in a big game, I mean, it, it hasn't happened for them twice this year with the Chiefs and the Steelers, a loss in the playoffs thoroughly the last you know, last year to the Titans and the Chargers the year before that. So I don't know what it is with this team, but they clearly struggle in, in against the top-tier teams in the NFL. Yeah, certainly. I mean, like you said, exactly like you said, that, you know, the Chiefs game, they just did not look good. That did kind of surprise me. I mean, you know, the Chiefs are a difficult team, but I, I really thought that that would be a much closer game. I don't even know if the final score was as close as, you know, it, it, it seemed. So, sometimes you kind of see these teams that are like, you know, maybe kind of going back to like the chiefs in the nineties or even some early Peyton Manning teams in the early two thousands before he was able to get off that playoff hump where it's just different. I I don't know. I kind of wish I had more insight into being, you know, in the locker room, in the team organizations about um, what that, what that changeover is from the regular season where, you know, maybe we can get a bye or home games, but it's just different when so much is on the line. You know, I, I, I don't know if it's the weather changing, obviously some of your game plan, will change, you know, when you only have 60 minutes versus, you know, you, you could lose a game, you know, we can go back like historically to like Marty Schottenheimer led teams and, and stuff. So it, it is, I feel like you hit it right on the head and, and it might be tough for them, especially, you know, obviously looking like they'll be have, having to go on the road um, in the playoffs with, uh, you know, the Steelers kind of leading the way in the, in the division. Yeah, and I would just like to also point out a team like the Chiefs, we haven't talked about too much. They have a loss to the Raiders. It's you know it's virtually impossible, obviously, to go undefeated. The Chiefs are going to be ready for the playoffs. They've proven they can do it. I think they, they want to get to a point where they're healthy, they're peaking at the right time. They are a team that knows what it takes to go all the way, and, and I actually think that they're going <laughs> to, in some way, 
they're probably a little happy that they're not the one that they're not the talk of the AFC right now that a team like Pittsburgh is kind of getting all the headlines so they can kind of just lurk right in uh, I, the other teams though I mean we'll get to the Browns here in a second but the Colts and now the Raiders I mean two teams that have different trajectories the Colts everyone looked at you know Philip Rivers and how he was inconsistent early in the season he's played better but their defense and their running game have actually been been pacing the way and then the Raiders at four and three the Vegas Raiders that team has had maybe the hardest schedule they've weathered the storm they've got some quality wins over teams like the Saints the Browns you know and uh and the Chiefs obviously and their schedule eases up so I actually think the Raiders are primed to make a serious run at the playoffs that went over Cleveland while it pained me obviously that was huge because it sets them up perfectly for their second half of the season yeah, definitely. I mean, that gives them, you know, if if they end up with the same record, that big, you know, head-to-head tiebreaker, and they do play the Colts, um, looking at their schedule in Week 14, so that'll, you know, be a, a big game, you know, potentially. Um, you know, there's still some games after after the fact, but yeah, I mean, there's been times where they've looked kind of inconsistent, or sometimes the offense takes a little bit to get going, but I, I think, you know, they have a good running running situation with Jacobs and mm-hmm. and I think they have the parts there. So um, that's, I, the, that's a good point. I feel like they can definitely be in the running toward the end of the year. Well, I do want to mention the Browns Raiders game and, and just a comment here. I, I did feel like it was, it was not a good, uh, it wasn't boding well leading up to it. I felt like this was a, a tough, a trappish game with all due respect to the Raiders, but the Browns dropped that one 16-6 in just brutal Midwest conditions in Cleveland. Adam, I don't know if you realize this, but the Browns had exactly six drives all game. That's how many times they had the ball. And a lot of that was on the Raiders, just eating the clock, power run game. Jacobs had it over 30 times. But part of the problem was, and and I'm going to actually give Baker Mayfield a pass because I've been critical of him. He actually played pretty well. The, the, The numbers won't won't show it but the skill positions just with the receivers I should say just completely let him down receivers and tight end a lot of drops one in the end zone by Landry just back breaking you know inability to make plays that's where I was afraid we were going to miss a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. you know he's somebody that when you're not playing the best of the best you can get by without having a top flight receiver like that but when you need him when you need to get the big plays when you need a game breaker to take the top off the defense and don't have it, you see it against a team like the Raiders. So, while while I'm similarly thinking like the, like the Las Vegas team that they have an easier schedule down the stretch, so do the Browns. Getting into the playoffs is a very real possibility, but at a certain point, they're going to need some players to step up, catch some passes, and they are going to need Baker to play consistent in the second half of the season. Five and three is great. I'm kind of how you feel with the Bears, but. You know, I would like to be better, you know, and I, I think there's definitely room for improvement, especially against the top teams. Yeah, definitely. You know, looking at it now, and yeah, Landry had four catches, but he had 11 targets, as you said, you know, drops or, or missed opportunities there. And, and, and yeah, I think it will be a big loss with Beckham because even though, you know, statistically, you know, his numbers are down and uh, the storyline is that something is missing from when he just blew up the NFL in his first couple of years. I think it's exactly like you said. And it kind of reminds me a little, maybe not comparing the two, but I've been watching all these old Bears games, 80s, late 70s and stuff. And it was kind of like when the Bears had a Walter Payton, you just knew that, you know, they could have no quarterback consistency, but they were just going to run the ball. And every every time he was just going to power ahead and get yeah. four or five yards, if nothing else, at a bare minimum. And I feel like just having that, when it goes away, that's when, you know, and I feel like there's some positions in the NFL, like maybe if you have a really dominant defensive tackle, you kind of see it too with the defense where it's a little, I mean, not saying that Odell Beckham is a quiet, 
missing piece. He's definitely out there and, you know, gets a lot of double teams and, yeah. and is game plan for. But I feel like there's just times like that where there are times, you know, when the gap, when he's out, there's more little things that just kind of everything uh, kind of collapses on itself. Yeah. And, and there's so many, I'm sure, different strategies that defenses can now use when they don't have to focus on, on one person or, or no, you know, or we don't have to worry about this. The game plan is a huge thing uh, because it doesn't, it doesn't show up in the stat sheet until you see a guy like Landry that, you know, he, he's, his target to catch rate is just terrible because now he's not getting the benefit. <laughs> he's not the beneficiary of all the doubles that Beckham is drunk. So, yeah, that's a good point Certainly. there. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get to just wrap this up and look at this week's slate of games, is it time to stick a fork in the Patriots for this season and, and dare I say, beyond in the near future? <laughs> well, as a someone who's kind of been a general person who roots against the Patriots when it comes to the playoffs, I would like to say it. I guess, yeah, I'm still a little wary. I mean, obviously it's different without Brady and, and switching Cam. I mean, I, I like – I think Cam Newton was a, a, a generally good pickup for where they were. I, I don't know what their – I don't know what their plan is for Stidham if they like him, or I would see maybe they, they've seen things, things in practice that maybe say he's not the long-term answer. I feel like you get these quarterbacks. I mean, and, and you know, Newton, he didn't just sneak up on people. Obviously, he was the first overall pick, but it's just kind of so bizarre sometimes where you have, you know, the 2015 MVP year. And he, even guys like, you know, Nick Foles or even like Joe Flacco, where it's like, why can't the magic, like what happened? Why is the magic just gone yeah. after a couple of years and you're kind of forcing it? And, and there's probably so many different factors. But it is going to be really close. Close, I think, especially what you said with with the uh, you know nine nine teams with winning records in the AFC, and you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe they could pass Miami, and, and that's still in play. But but I think it will certainly be difficult. Um, stranger things have happened, but I think it's pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it for this year, but uh, I'm not gonna write off what Belichick and McDaniel's might have in store for the future. But it starts with getting better players in there because they've whiffed on a lot of drafts. The personnel hasn't been good, and they're paying the price for it now. Belichick said they're paying the price for the salary cap thing. That's partly exactly. true. They've also whiffed on a lot of first round talent. I mean, just just look at the look at the skill guys, the receivers that they have drafted compared to what they could have. Um, but the Bills, I mean, I would like to see more from the Bills because they didn't play all that well, and they were very fortunate Cam fumbled late in that game. Uh, all right, Adam Musto, Money Mitch Effect, Week 9 on the slate. We mentioned the Thursday night game still scheduled at the time of this with Packers-Niners. What else are you looking forward to this week, uh, Adam, in, in the slate of games? Because I'll tell you, that 10 a.m. start, that's got me going already with obviously the Browns on a bye, but it's that Seahawks-Bills that I will be paying attention to right off the gate. Certainly, yeah, that's a, that's a nice little throwback. But the Sunday night game is obviously a big one, as we talked about with uh, Breeze, Breeze and Brady. I mean, there's some interesting ones. You know, Bears-Titans, I feel like, not to be biased again, but you kind of, that's you know, a both big of these one, teams though. are kind of, yeah. yeah, still kind of finding their identity. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I guess if you had told me that the Texans and Jaguars would both be 1-6 and six entering this game at the beginning of the season, I would have been pretty – Pretty shocked, but um, but there's some good matchups. I mean, just kind of looking at it, you know, you got the old Baltimore rivalry with the Ravens and, and the Colts, and you know, I don't know, maybe we'll see a Super Bowl preview with Seahawks Bills. So, mm-hmm. um, and I, I don't know, even going to Raiders Chargers, you know, can can the, the Chargers get back on track? And, and the Raiders, I think, should win this game, but they have shown some inconsistency, and and that one might be, they might be a little vulnerable in that one. 
I was going to say, from uh, I really like the early slate, but for the afternoon, I mean, it might be the worst 1 o'clock slate of games we've had with Raiders, Chargers, Steelers, Cowboys. Dolphins, Cardinals is good, but those are the only three. We do get Saints, Bucks, but Dolphins, or uh, Jets, Patriots on Monday night. Come on. Like, is there anything else we could do? Is there anything we could do? Is there anything I could do to get this game moved? Yeah, it's one thing. I mean, it's hard enough to watch the Jets, but it just seems like... I mean, I'm sure Adam Sandler would agree with it. I feel like he was a Jets fan and one of them was his big daddy. Yeah. But just something about Monday night. I mean, it's maybe great in the 90s when you have Jumbo Elliott catching a touchdown pass, but this one just seemed really, really rough, um, especially after seeing the Giants. I mean, I like New York. It's a great city, but, you know, the last couple of nights it's been kind of tough So um, for them. So that, that one is a rough one. I'm telling you, I watched every game the Browns went 0-16, and uh, they, they could have won at least three of them. The Jets haven't been in a single game this season. So they're on pace by far, in my opinion, to be the worst team ever if they get to 0-16 based on just how black, how not competitive they've been. But uh, we'll see. If they Certainly. beat, if they beat yeah. the Patriots, yeah. though, I mean, that's that, that'll be something to talk about. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I know they had a rough year in, what, I think 94, 95. They want 1-15, so they're chasing that. But, yeah, I mean, they do have, you know, just looking at the schedule, you know, do they have a chance to win? I mean, they play the Chargers, the Dolphins, the Raiders, the Seahawks, the Rams, the Browns, and Patriots again. So those are all, you know, well, the Patriots a couple times. They could obviously pull one out. Things happen, you know, with, I feel like, inevitably something weird happens at the end of the year. But, but it's not it's not going to be easy for them, especially, like you said, as we've seen their play this year. Um, it, it, it is going to be pretty difficult. Adam Musto, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate you talking football. We'll have to do this again and see, you know, halfway through with both our teams sitting at five and three. Uh, better to be, you know, wish, wanting more from a good team than, uh, you know, having all hope lost. But thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Hope to chat with you uh, again about the NFL. Awesome. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Huge thanks to both Jose Youngs and Adam Musto for hopping on today's show, breaking down sports. Much appreciation to them. Big weekend of college football as well with the Pac-12 coming back. Love those underdogs, man. Starts with Arizona State USC at 9 a.m. local time out on the West Coast. Some big betting value there. We also got the, uh, the cocktail party game, Florida and Georgia, like Florida there. And uh, some other big games, Clemson, Notre Dame, Clemson without Trevor Lawrence. Still think it, it's going to be a tough task for Notre Dame to uh, win and maybe even cover in that one. So a lot of good college football. Hope you enjoy it. If you like the Money Mitch Effect, if you like this episode and other episodes, share it. Subscribe. Leave a rating or review on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page. I'm on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. We'll try to be back next week as well for more sports talk. The NFL and college football seasons keep rolling along. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, keep enjoying sports.